Onto Waveland is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Cubs ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Or the concert, you know, folks, Chicago, known for some really great venues for you to see the show. Make sure you check that out as well. So head over to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hey folks, welcome. It's on to Waveland. We're still a thing. We still do this. Uh, I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney of The Athletic, and this is The Athletic's Cubs podcast. Uh, we did a little hiatus thing after the season ended. Uh, the Cubs were not involved in the postseason. Uh, you may or may not recall that at this point. But we are now into the meaty part of the offseason, theoretically speaking. We'll see if this uh, off-season proceeds like the last two have, uh, where teams generally uh, chill for a while, other than the Braves, who have, I believe, signed now three times as many free agents as the rest of baseball combined. Uh, so uh, we wanted to get in, get back, get on the mics, talk to you folks about uh, what's going on with the Cubs off-season as we look ahead to um, what should be the busiest part of the off-season. We, we flip past Thanksgiving uh, the tender deadline comes up in early December, and then, of course, you've got the winter meetings a couple weeks uh, thereafter. And again, typically, historically, most free agents like to have their deals done before Christmas time, before the new year. Um, and uh, we'll see if that proceeds. But the plan from our perspective, so you guys know, is to come at you with uh, a, a weekly uh, podcast at this point through through the, um, I think, the, the hot part of the offseason. So... Uh, we're gonna, yeah, let's, let's get into it. So, um, I guess first we want, I, or at least I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to hear from these guys cause, um, Sahadev and Patrick have been writing a lot of excellent things about the organizational changes for the Cubs. And I, I guess I just didn't want to sleep on the fact that as we await roster changes, you know, the really visible forward facing things that, um, fans, clamor for, take note of, discuss obsessively. Um, this is an organization that is in a really foundational transitional period. And I just don't want to lose sight of how much um, the organization has and is doing to, to truly take on the challenge of improving um, player development um, deployment at the big league level, development in the big leagues, uh, all of these things that have, I, th I think most would agree, have become very problematic for the Cubs organization after they won the World Series. And um, so I guess you, you, it's like such a broad thing. You got to kind of narrow it. So, uh, you know, excuse me, guys, for the, the cheesy way to set it up. But like <laughs> among the many organizational changes, by which I'm talking about, of course, you know, new manager, new coaches, uh, completely overhauled player development structure, uh, recently announced um, huge influx of sort of data-focused uh, personnel coming in, 
um, of all of those changes, what part is kind of sticking out to you right now as being like, okay, uh, people maybe aren't talking about this, but like this this is where it's going to bear fruit or this is what I find the most interesting or, you know, you got a mic in front of you now. So I know you guys have written some great stuff, but uh, what do you want to say? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things going on, right? I mean, outside of uh, the chance that there's going to be uh, changes to the roster, all the stuff behind the scenes, I feel like uh, going to impact in different ways i'm really curious about the the player development stuff obviously i just wrote a piece of, on justin stone who is basically like the kyle body of hitting uh and and he you know it, it's i find it fascinating i find it interesting that some his processes seem really simple and and really easy to understand i didn't really get into the nitty-gritty of what he's going to be doing uh in that piece but i will have a follow-up that just kind of goes through just a very simple process that he put me through uh, that he's going to put all the other uh, that he's going to put every player through before they even step into a cage. And it just, it's something that he told me was uh, he wished he would have figured out a decade ago. And, and it's just, uh, I don't want to spill the beans fully of what it is. It's really not complex. It's not going to blow you away, but it's, it's just this simple routine that he puts players through figures out their bodies. And then, you can uh, you can go about working on uh, mechanics after you know what your body can do, uh, and I just thought it was a very simple thing uh, that perhaps has gone overlooked over the years. You try and change mechanics without knowing what the body is capable of doing, uh, and sometimes you just need to strengthen a different area of your body or or change something uh, your workout before you start doing mechanics because the mechanics you may, your body just may not be able to do that and and it's. I just thought it was something that uh, why why didn't we realize this years ago, um, and and I think even even Justin Stone said that he's like I wish I would have figured this out years ago, but it's a it's a key to to making this all work. I, I think that's one of the bigger things going on, just the whole player development side, everything that's going on there. We'll see how much it impacts, how long it takes, uh, if they really do have all the right people in place, uh, but. It, it's more than just eyewash, right? It's not just because a lot of people were complaining that uh, these guys were already in the organization. They they really weren't implementing what they uh, their beliefs, so to say. Uh, it wasn't uh, you know going all in on these things. And I think Theo and company are really uh, really diving headfirst into this. And and there's a lot of money being invested and time being invested in, in shifting uh, things in this direction as far as player development goes. I'm really looking forward to Sahade reporting to spring training in the best shape of his life after the <laughs> biometric breakdown uh, <laughs> at that facility next to where everyone sends their kids to like uh, little kickers or whatever. Um, not to spoil <laughs> your story, but uh, yeah, Brett, I'm with you. I think people are maybe fully appreciating the widespread changes that are happening, but I understand why there isn't that kind of enthusiasm for it. Or I think there'd be more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think all of this would be viewed differently if the Cubs were planning to like spend big money this off season and change their major league team. I think there's this kind of fatigue of kind of, rearranging things and kind of chasing the next big idea that people kind of talk about on Twitter. 
and I'm, I think I would be, if I was a Cubs fan or a Cubs employee, I'd be a little concerned about, I think one of the weaknesses of this organization is uh, overreacting. And I do think, you know, you saw it of, you know, they fire John Maley and then they hire Chili Davis and, you know, uh, refer to him as this like graduate school level professor. And then they fire him 50 weeks on the job. And, you know, Dale Swain was too much tough love. And then they hire Ricky Renteria, who, you know, was not a very good major league manager. And I think there are times where we kind of have seen the Cubs just kind of overthink things, kind of go in circles. Um, and that would be my concern with all of these changes. And I think part of that is uh, Joe Madden. Obviously, he landed softly. They had their, you know, conscious uncoupling, as Paul Sullivan called it. And everyone left with, you know, smiles and, and bro hugs and fist bumps. But I think a lot of Joe's strengths were uh, kind of hard to notice and taken for granted. And this isn't a shot at David Ross. I just think that maybe we may notice some of those strengths more now that um, he's gone. Sure. And I think that um, to there is an understandable cynicism among fans, particularly coming off of last off season where uh, you heard about environmental changes to the organization and it, it it the story sort of evolved by the time the offseason ended it was sort of like uh, that's what we are doing instead of managing the roster better and I'm not saying that is what the Cubs were doing but that is the way the dialogue evolved last year and so you have everyone is like set and ready to kind of tear apart any change, even if it's really significant, just like you said, changing from Joe Madden to a new manager, for better or worse, is a really significant environmental change to the organization. It's one of the it's one of the it's going to be one of the most noticeable changes outside of changes to the roster. And so I think a lot of people were just simply set up to um, take on the news of any environmental change as though it is being done in lieu of changes to the roster. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. But I don't think that any of us would say that, that that is the express intention. It's sort of, it's not as though it's like, well, you know, we can't really spend a lot of money, so we better do this stuff. It's not that. It's a recognition that over the last several years, there were, there were areas that were lacking. There were um, approaches, and there were personnel, and there were philosophies that were... Um, that fell behind the times in a rapidly changing environment. So these were, these are things that have needed to be done regardless of what was going to happen with the big league roster. And so um, I think, you know, I, I envision regardless of what does happen with the roster, I, I could see myself in March and April uh, being the annoying butthole who has to push back against everyone. <laughs> be like, Oh, well, they just still bought, but they hired a new assistant fourth 15th hitting coach. Uh, and I'm, and I'm going to have to be the guys like, yeah, but you know what? That was good. You know, that, that was a good thing to do regardless of, of the fact that, uh, you know, Daniel Descalso was the, the biggest signing in the last two off seasons. No, I, I don't, I don't actually expect that to happen, but boy, that'd be, wouldn't that you be can't fun? Di- you can't totally dismiss the possibility though. I, that's true. I cannot, 
<laughs> That's why I'm like biting my lip as I say it. I'm like, please don't actually become the case. So, so that does afford us a nice opportunity to transition to uh, the big league roster where, um, you know, we haven't really seen much from the Cubs yet, except for some peripheral, some interesting peripheral maneuverings. But I don't think that that's anything that's happened has not been unexpected uh, to this point, both because of at a macro level, the way the league's offseason has transformed the last couple of years, but also specifically to the Cubs. I think there's a lot of things that need to be, uh, I don't want to say resolved, but um, worked on before we can really get an idea of what they're going to be doing with this roster. I mean, we've got the Chris Bryant service time grievance, which might not be resolved publicly for another couple of, couple of weeks or more. Um, you know, we've got uh, conversations going on about the Cubs potentially trying to extend Javi Baez, which necessarily will impact the rest of the offseason from a financial perspective. Uh, of course, there's all of the discussions about whether the Cubs are making Wilson Contreras available in trade, and that too would necessarily predate some other maneuverings on the roster. And so, Again, not super surprised that we haven't seen a lot of activity from the Cubs yet, um, but there is a lot to do going forward. Yeah, I mean, we, we were Theo's kind of focused on uh, second base and center field early on as areas that need to be upgraded. Uh, how they go about doing this, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I think the, the this offseason, how they're able to pull it off, if they're able to pull things off, uh, because it seems like it's going to be very trade uh, heavy as far as their ability to make moves, uh, how those moves affect them. Like you said, you know, how, how those moves affect the payroll are going to be interesting because, like you said, we, we need to see what happens with Bryant. Uh, we need to see how the catcher market really uh, plays out because now that Grandal's out, that feels like they can really market Contreras well, even though there are, you know, lesser catchers available, quality catchers, obviously, but lesser catchers available on the market. It's going to be interesting to see how aggressive other GMs are for players like Bryant and Contreras. It, it's, it's interesting to me in the sense that Theo has never been one that was afraid to push in for a player that he thought could could really help his team win uh, win it all, get to the playoffs, whatever it is, a, a key missing part, whether it was the right move uh, in the long run or the or not, he's he's never been afraid to be aggressive. He's not uh, kicking himself that Glaber Torres had a great October, right? And it looks like that he's on his way to being a perennial All Star, MVP candidate, all that stuff. Theo doesn't look back and say, ah, shouldn't have made that deal, right? Uh, the Jose Quintana deal is the type of deal that, yeah, maybe there are regrets, but it made sense at the time. There were a lot of things that why they needed to do that. And we can, we've already gone over why they had to do it. But all these moves, you don't see them very often by other GMs, right? The, these are the types of moves that Theo needs other GMs to start making to really have things pay off here. So, uh, I'm I'm curious to see how the trade market plays out. We we know what the Cubs' holes are. I mean, they need young starting pitching. Like I said, second base and center field are two areas they have to upgrade. Whether that's whether one of those holes are filled by Nico, and I know second base is obviously the logical spot for him. I get that, but you have to upgrade center field somehow this offseason. You have to find competition for at minimum Ian Happ, competition for him in center field. Uh, 
does if they do move Bryant, do they spend money? Then is does that what type of flexibility do they have there? I think these are the questions I'm fascinated to see how they actually pull things off because I don't know how aggressive they'll be if they move the 18 plus million that may be coming uh, to Bryant in arbitration. If they do move that, uh, it, it it's really going to be uh, telling. Uh, how they how they go about spending that money what what they may be in the future as far as aggressively spending money what level they're going to be and it's I think it's an issue all across baseball but when you see big spending teams like this uh, like the Cubs like the Red Sox and others kind of look at the free agent market and say ah that's not the way we're going to go about things um, it's going to be it's going to be tough for to for the offseason in general we may see more off seasons like we have the recent past so uh I'm not there's no clear path to getting better uh, in the short to long term, but we kind of know what they what they need to do uh, as far as w- what pieces they have to play. I spoke with someone right after the GM meetings ended, and this was before obviously Grandal had signed with the White Sox. And I asked what he was hearing on the Cubs, and he said, um, you know, kind of marketing. Wilson Contreras as an alternative for teams that either don't want to commit the years and the dollars to sign him or whatever, they finish second in the Grandal sweepstakes that um, Contreras was going to be kind of a key piece of the Cubs offseason. I still believe that. I know Sahadev's heard kind of similar rumblings. um, And, you know, you can look at, Okay, there aren't many other catching options out there. There are a lot of other third base options out there. There's a lot of outfield options. So I think a team kind of paying a premium uh, for a year or two years of Chris Bryant um, just isn't realistic. Uh, I do think Contreras with an extra year of club control um, makes a ton of sense to to move him. We've talked about this before, uh, the kind of – I've noticed some people kind of, uh, you know, figuratively rolling their eyes when you mentioned Victor Caratini, but he does do uh, a lot of things well, and I think you could bring in that veteran backup to complement him. They're going to see, you know, like every winter, they're going to buy more kind of lottery tickets like the guy uh, Cotton from uh, Oakland. And I do think Theo mentioned one thing at the GM meetings that kind of stood out to me was that, uh, the starting pitching market is pretty deep. Kind of the uh, normally, it's there's a ton of relievers and uh, scarcity of starting pitchers, and I do think you could probably see them. Yeah, they're not going to get, you know, Strasburg or Cole or even you know Zach Wheeler, who seems to be kind of the hot name now on Twitter. But uh, in that game of musical chairs and knowing how well they've done in the past with kind of identifying, um, you know the under the radar guys are in the sign and flip years. I think that's kind of an opportunity um, where they could get better. Sorry. I didn't know if, uh, <laughs> if you were done there or if that was an artificial. No. And I, I was also mulling that point and whether I was like, okay, I want to jump off of the starting pitching point. Cause I have, uh, I think it's good and I got thoughts or did I want to uh, comment further on Contreras? So what I'll do because I'm extremely verbose and I like to dominate the mic is I'm going <laughs> to touch on both of those things. 
So you guys can just you can you know head back to Twitter, take a nap, what, you know whatever works for you. Uh, so uh, first, you know, comment on Contreras um, because I, I do acknowledge and um, you know, and Andy Dolan wrote as he does in his style uh, in his what cup cup of coffee uh, recently about trading Wilson Contreras and sort of the considerations that go into that that extend perhaps beyond um, the the. The baseball impact, you know, he, he Contreras. We think about um, a guy who is a clubhouse presence, who is who does sort of set a certain type of tone in terms of competitiveness, both on the field, off the field, <clears throat> and it's not necessarily something that the Cubs are keen to lose. Um, you know, a, a big part of the conversation about bringing in David Ross as the manager is that there is some level of red assness there that that might help this organization at this time. And uh, Wilson Contreras, I think, contributes in that way. I mean, the flip to it, though, is as much as you might really enjoy Wilson Contreras as a fan, uh, you might acknowledge that the upside uh, and productivity in his bat is among the very best in baseball at the catching position. I do think that we have to acknowledge that it's not only a matter of catcher being one of the few spots on this roster where the Cubs could trade an impact player like Contreras and perhaps not take a huge step back in total production, you know, you, where you have Victor Caratini maybe making 65% of the starts, a veteran who's, who's a really good presence behind the plate, taking the other 35% or so. Um, and and when, you, when you sort of net everything out in total productivity, it might not be an enormous step back. It might be a manageable step back. And indeed, it might be a total improvement for the club when you consider what is, is received in return for a Contreras trade. Um, but it's not just that. There, there, there's also this idea that for as good a hitter and productive a hitter as Wilson Contreras is, there is also a certain style to his offensive performance that... I think we've talked about before, the Cubs maybe need to diversify against. Uh, Contreras is a big swing and miss guy. He is a guy who's susceptible to the, the, the breaking stuff off the plate. He is, he's sort of in that same mold of that, that thumping right-handed hitter who uh, takes his walks, but he also swings and misses a lot. And he also, uh, you're very reliant on him um, doing damage when he puts the ball in play, not so much just him putting the ball in play. And again, when you think about the total value to the club, if you were to make a deal, again, it's not just what you get in return. It's not just the ability to um, not take a huge step back behind the plate. It's also, you're you're potentially going to be able to really change the look of that lineup. And so that's, that's something I think that needs to be considered when we talk about um, Contreras as a trade piece. Um, Sadiv, did you want to say anything before I move off of Contreras? I noticed you, you didn't get a chance to jump in on that. No, no, no. I think you, you summarized it. I think the key is diversity of the lineup and ext and what you can get in return for him. Yeah. Those are the two so, things that, that really matter there. Yes. And um, it, is not, it is not a comment on the quality of Contreras as a person or a player. It's just a, a no, consideration that uh, of, of where the organization is right now. Um, well, it, on the, uh, Brett, sorry, go, go, I mean, go. I, I, Shoot I feel it. like, I feel like it's as simple as this. None of this, none of these guys would be available on the trade market in a perfect world. None of this is ideal. None of this is what fans should want their teams to do 
if they would just spend aggressively push, you know, didn't treat uh, the luxury tax as a cap or anything like that. I understand all that. This isn't the ideal way to go about it. Uh, there are reasons that they're here. There are reasons that they kind of have to uh, refill the uh, the system and 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 they're going to have to make tough decisions. I think it's as it's as simple as that. These aren't the, you you don't go into the offseason saying we want to trade Chris Bryant or Wilson Contreras or both of them or any of them, right? It it just doesn't it it's not it's not a perfect way to go about it, but in the situation that they they're in with the money that they have to spend and the budget that they've been given, this is how they have to go about it. I think it makes sense. I understand it. I just, you know, you, you you have to nail a move. Any if you're trading a Chris Bryant or Wilson Contreras, you better nail that move. You better get us. You better hope that the prospects you get in return impact this team uh, soon and in a big way. Well, and that's especially true in an environment where some of the best and most impactful players across baseball increasingly and consistently are guys in their pre-arb years. It's, it's very, very young players. And so it's it's not even just a matter of like, okay, what do we need to do financially? It's you don't have access to some of the best players in baseball if you don't draft and develop them, get them in international free agency, or acquire them in trades like this. Yeah, no no doubt. All right. Uh, I, 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 no, we went out of the normal order. I understand. It's usually like a little round table situation. I jumped in. Patrick's over there like, God, what the F, Brett? Uh, all right. I did, so I want to comment on the pitching uh, because it is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sneaky area of desperate need, in my view, that has not been a part of the, the, the biggest conversations about the Cubs roster. I mean, I understand why the lineup in these these big potential trades and diversifying the lineup, all, all this stuff. I get it. I get why that gets the focus. Um, but I don't think we can ignore the fact that we're looking at a Cubs rotation situation that, yeah, you could probably count on a pretty good year from you Darvish next year. I, I really buy in to him, his, his comfort, his uh, settling in in the second half. Uh, I think he physically will age well, all, all of that good stuff. Ditto Kyle Hendricks. I think you can reasonably expect another solid year from him. No, no reason not to, at least. Uh, with Jose Quintana, I think you don't know what you're going to get. I think that there's obviously been some physical steps back since he came to the Cubs. And I think that as a lot of pitchers do around his age, um, the very good ones, there is this kind of transitional period of like, okay, well, how do I still be very effective when this is what I'm able to work with now? And I don't think we have seen him um, really make that transition as, as best he can. And maybe he will next year. Maybe he won't. Uh, John Lester, who did, by the way, make that transition very well um, in his time coming to the Cubs, is another guy that I think, you know, will he be a fine, adequate fourth, fifth starter type even in his uh, it, to his mid and late 30s? Sure, great, fine. But when you consider that, the totality of that rotation together with a fifth starter spot right now that is is entirely filled with guys that you're like, okay, yeah, maybe that could be a, a decent fifth starter. Tyler Chatwood, Alec Mills, Colin Ray, um, anybody they could you know potentially pick up like a, a Jarrell Cotton. Uh, you consider that whole, and that is just the biggest landmine waiting to explode on the Cubs next year. And I think that there is, I, I was really glad that uh, Mooney mentioned the robust 
free agent market on the starting pitching side this year. Um, given the Cubs' needs, it just feels like a perfect offseason to really try to target an impact, younger, controlled starting pitcher, um, a guy who could potentially come in and have that premium stuff, premium velocity, um, and and change the look of the rotation. And if you can't, if that deal doesn't come together over the next two months, cool, fine. There's probably going to be a really robust set of free agents that, frankly, at that point are going to just have to take the deal that's available to them. Unfortunately, that's the way the offseason has played out the last two years. And uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty good position for the Cubs to be in in terms of what they need and what they want to do. It's a terrible position to be in don't get me wrong, about the state of the rotation right now and the gap between the readiness of some of their younger prospects that I, I genuinely do believe that they've got some very good pitching prospects coming. I don't think we're going to see that in 2020, 20, maybe not even 2021. Um, and so it's a scary, scary position for the Cubs to be in on the pitching side, but at least the structure of the market this year is probably going to work to their benefit. When you say the structure of the market, you mean free agency could work in well, their Well, I just mean, like favor, I said, or, the, yeah. the ability to target guys in trade. And okay, as you we said know, in trade. That, I missed what that you said in trade. Well, just that usually doesn't work out, right? Like it's a, a fun and nice and happy and easy thing to say. We want to get a controlled impact, high velocity, high stuff starting pitcher in trade. Great. Every team wants those. They're very hard to acquire. So the Cubs can take their time for a couple months. And try to make that happen. And if it doesn't, the nature of this particular free agent uh, market for starting pitchers is they're probably going to have a decent option left over that they can kind of pick over in in late January, early February. Yeah, I, I really agree with you on this as far as starting pitching. You're right that you look at the rotation now and in the future, there, there are holes. There are holes that, and potential, you know, holes that may not be as obvious. You laid it out pretty, pretty well. We know uh, what direction some of these guys could go and go quickly if they haven't already. Uh, I, I kind of agree that I'm confident in Darvish and, and Hendricks and, and kind of shrug the rest of the rotation as we'll see. Uh, it, I look at it as this. If you're trading one or two of your big pieces of the core and you head into next season. I know it's all about accumulating talent, and I, I agree, uh, and I think that's their focus, get the best talent. But they, if you don't come out with one of, if not both, uh, a future center fielder and a future starting pitcher, that's it's just it doesn't feel as good than, than it should, right? It, maybe they come away with a great shortstop or a great – you know, a great power corner bat or something like that of the future that they'll have control of for years and has, a, you know, an MVP ceiling. I it, it, It'll make sense. It could make sense in that sense in, uh, if that's the route that they have to go. You get you try and get the best talent you can. But those two areas, I just feel like they've struggled to really develop starting pitching. And it's basically been you look at center fielders. Uh, it's basically a huge gap uh there's Kenny Lofton and then there's Dexter Fowler and and there's nothing really else that you can say yeah this is a quality piece that has impacted the roster in a really positive fashion uh it, it, it's going to be it, it's not that's why I keep focusing on these trades and say that's why what what they get in these trades is going to be just 
so big and, and what they can accumulate uh, this winter is just kind of the key to seeing just how they expand this window if it's going to be anything worthwhile. You know, is it is this actually going to be a, a true expansion of the window and, and you're adding impact talent uh, that that brings you another championship two, three years from now? Or, or are you just kind of filling holes here and there or or what's going to happen? But center field and starting pitching, those are two pieces I keep coming back to that if they don't go out and get that in some fashion, it's just going to be tough to see how, how things uh are, are going in a positive direction. I really like how Brett turned in this direction by saying sneaky area of desperate need. I think I'm looking forward to your album dropping in April. I feel like that was a good, <laughs> uh, good uh, sentiments yeah, for the 2020 Cubs, put it on, uh, you know, billboards and buses, but, uh, it'll have a rage. Yeah. Style, uh, you gotta, so. <laughs> yeah, you gotta think if they're trading Contreras, they gotta get, you know, like Sadev saying, a big arm. Uh, the supply and demand forces on the free agent market should work in their favor. And this is something just going back to you know the off season when they did the Morrow, Chatwood, and Darvish deals. Stacking those three investments on top of each other were obviously not uh, the greatest idea and part of it was with someone like Chatwood the Cubs had always been really good at kind of identifying you know kind of the that sign and flip guy and did you really need to go three years uh off this guy's spin rate for I think what do you like Chatwood like led the National League in losses for a playoff team or something like that that they really kind of overextended themselves at a time when you know Darvish had a lot going on and Morrow obviously had this really long um injury history. So I'd imagine that they're going to get creative in that area. It's probably a nice uh, opportunity. Um, I think it was telling that they didn't give Hamels a qualifying offer. Uh, and also uh, Ken Rosenthal reporting that Kendall Graveman's going to the Mariners, I think on a $2 million deal, which the Cubs had a $3 million option. I think it's kind of telling that while maybe it's not the Jesse Chavez signing with the Rangers kind of alarm bell, but I believe Sahada wrote, you know, every dollar counts uh, in the budget for baseball operations this winter. And if you thought Kendall Graveman was worth kind of paying him to rehab at your facility, uh, a former opening day starter for the A's, and you just kind of let him walk, and maybe he wasn't, you know, worth their you know ivy computer system projection at two million dollars but i did think that was kind of interesting to see them not only declining the option at three but letting him go to the the mariners for two million i think that's probably a good place to leave this one because i I think that um what i like about the conversation we just had is how our uncertainty is the wrong word, but our, you know, openness to what might transpire is sort of mirrors, I think, the Cubs' own openness to the possible paths to um, not only maneuvering for the short term, perhaps in um, needlessly creative ways, as the budget might dictate, um, but also how it will help smooth that transition in the later years. Because I think that right now, it there are still a lot of possible paths on the table. And so um, 
I think, you know, good, good job, good work team. I think we did a good job of, of echoing that openness and sentiment of a little bit of uncertainty. Um, so, you know, we got a surprise for you fine folks. Uh, you know, we didn't talk to you for, uh, what, like a month or so. We missed you. We love you. And so, bam, you're going to get two episodes from us in like the span of 12 hours or something cool like that. I'm totally making work for our producer, Adam, um, by writing checks that my ass can't cover. But I do believe that is the plan. <laughs> uh, so you will be getting not only this uh, off-season focused sort of kickoff episode, but you will also get a special, um, a little more fun uh, I, I, I'll, I'll leave it. I'm not going to specify what it is, but it's just sort of a cool conversation that we had um, that will drop, I believe, um, like a day after this one does. So, man, if you can't get enough of us in your ear holes for your holiday season, we are here. <laughs> Be thankful for us this week. Uh, and in all seriousness, we are thankful for you. Uh, it's very nice to get this opportunity to reach folks in a different kind of medium. Uh, and I am thankful that I get to chat with my buddies, Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney from The Athletic. Make sure you're reading their great off-season work. I am Brett Taylor. You can read my stuff at Bleacher Nation. And we will be back at you uh, immediately with another episode. But then after that, we'll be back with you uh, on a semi-regular schedule through uh, December, I believe is the plan. So this is Onda Waveland. Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. Thank you all. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.